This is Crossroads with Clayton King. Well, it's Christmas time, and as we begin this Advent season, I'm going to share a message with you that I preached at Transformation Church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area about a character in the Christmas story that you probably don't hear a lot about. It's the man named Zechariah. Zechariah promised some things in a prophecy about the Son of God. And so in this message, we're going to see how God spoke through Zechariah and what we can learn from this little-known character in the Christmas story. So as you prepare your heart for Advent, as you prepare for all the things that come up during the Christmas season, I hope this message will get your mind and heart oriented around the birth of the Savior during Advent. Enjoy. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. So if you have brought a Bible or your device, you can go ahead and turn there. And uh, I'm going to be preaching our very first message in the Advent season and the Christmas series called Remember. But this season is about more than ordering gifts on Amazon. It's about way more than getting together with family. It's about way more than fighting the crowds at the mall or at Target, or if you're like me, Walmart, let's be honest. It's more than that. At Advent, we celebrate the coming of God's promise in Jesus. At Advent, we celebrate that God had the power to keep all of his promises, and that his promises were realized in the supernatural birth of Jesus from a virgin in a place that no one would have ever predicted, but that God had already promised. I'm gonna be in Luke chapter one, and I wanna start off before I tell you the story of Zechariah by making a statement that'll be up on the screens. You may want to write this down. Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would bring God's power into the world to defeat sin, death, Hell and darkness. That's the man we're gonna look at today, Zechariah. Who was this man, Zechariah? Well, he is most famous for his son. His son was a guy named John the Baptist. And no, he was not a denominational Baptist. There was no such thing back then. He was called the Baptist because he baptized people and he baptized one really famous guy. He baptized Jesus, John was Jesus' cousin. That means that Zechariah, who was Zechariah or Zechariah, depending on which translation you use, was married to a woman named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary, the Virgin Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. And so we see that there are multiple characters in the story that leads up to the birth of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. Now, let me tell you a few more things about Zechariah for you to get the full effect of what we're talking about today, which is the power of God on display in Advent. Zechariah was a priest. This is the fun part for me because I love history. Zechariah was a part of a team of priests that got to go to Jerusalem on, on occasion, part of a rotation of priestly duties And maybe once in his entire lifetime, he got to go into the Holy of Holies and he got to light the incense that burned in the presence of God, releasing the smoke and the aroma that was symbolic of worship that was pleasing to the nostrils of God. 
He had the privilege to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple and light the incense. Now here's some background. While he's in there, the angel of the Lord appears to him and Gabriel, the angel of the Lord says to Zechariah, y'all are gonna have a baby. Now this was not a baby like Jesus because Mary was a virgin, meaning she had never been with a man physically. And she was conceived by the whole, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. But Zechariah and Elizabeth were gonna have a baby the old fashioned way. They were gonna make one and they're old. I gotta hand it to them. <laughs> but, but they didn't know that they were gonna have a baby. This is very similar to the story of Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. We see echoes of this story. And when Gabriel says to him, y'all gonna have a baby, he questions the angel of the Lord and says, how can I know that this is true since we are so old? And, and the angel of the Lord says to him, because you have doubted the word of God, you will not speak. And he strikes him mute. And for the next six or seven months, Zechariah couldn't speak. He came out of the Holy of Holies and he began to communicate with writing. Everyone knew because he couldn't speak, he'd had a vision. In the meantime, Elizabeth gets pregnant. They make a child. That child is in her womb. Mary, the virgin, gets another message from the angel telling her, you're gonna have a baby. It's gonna be a baby from the Holy Spirit. It'll be conceived in you by the Spirit and God's favor is upon you. He's gonna be the Messiah. He's gonna save the people from their sin. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. When she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house, who is much older than her, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, John, the one prophesied in the Holy of Holies by the angel to the father of the baby, Zechariah, that baby is filled with the Holy Spirit and that baby inside the womb leaps for joy. I believe stood up as it were in the tomb in honor of the presence of the promised Messiah. So Zechariah can't speak until the baby is born eight days later. They're talking about what the baby's name is gonna be. That was the father's role to name the son. And everyone just assumed his name would be Zechariah. But Elizabeth, the mother said, no, my baby will not be called Zechariah. My baby will be called John. And everybody in the community said, why John? There's no one in your family lineage. By the way, Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was a direct descendant of Aaron. Who was Aaron? The brother of Moses, the first priest in the priestly lineage. There are a lot of things going on here. God's power on display she says his name is gonna be John. And then Zechariah asked for something to write with. And when he wrote, his name will be John and showed it to everybody, his tongue was loosened and he went into worship. He began to praise God. He had plenty of time to think about all the promises of God that were about to be fulfilled. He had plenty of time unable to speak, to rehearse and remember all of the Old Testament prophets who had prophesied about God's power on display with the coming Messiah. And so we pick up in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 67, the song of Zechariah. There were four songs of worship that brought praise to the Messiah when he was born. The song of Mary, the song of Simeon, the song of the angels, in Bethlehem and this song, the song of Zechariah, beginning in verse 67. Then his father Zechariah 
was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. I need to pause here. In your Bible study, I'm assuming all of you are reading your Bible. If, you sh- if you're not, you need to. When you see the word horn, anytime you see the word horn, it is always symbolic of power, always. So when you read Revelation, when you read Daniel, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the epistles, if you ever see the word horn, it is symbolic of a beast, an animal with a horn, and those horns are symbolic of power or the authority to accomplish something. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. By the way, that word ancient is so imperative for this series specifically. Our fate is not a new invention. Our fate is the oldest in the world. It goes back to creation. Christianity may have started at the birth of the church when Jesus was raised from the dead, but our roots are Jewish. And even before there was a nation of Israel or even before there was Abraham called to follow God in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God provided a a way of redemption. He prophesied from Genesis chapter three that one day an enemy would come and that serpent would strike the heel of the Messiah, but that the Messiah would lift up his foot and with his heel crush the serpent's head. Our faith is an ancient faith. It is not an American faith. It is not a white evangelical faith. It's not a black gospel faith. It is not a Latino faith or an Asian American faith. Our faith is universal to every tribe and tongue, to every people group. It goes back as far as time goes. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered, there's the word, our series, he's remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, John, you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Watch, watch this. Watch how the daddy speaks over his little boy when he's only eight years old. Watch this. And you, son, you don't even know what I'm saying now, but you will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. John can't even hear his dad talking to him. He's only eight, years, eight days old, right? But when we meet John, the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. How does he identify himself? 30 years later, he says of himself what his daddy said about him. I've got a 19-year-old son named Jacob. Just uh, this past Monday, he and I got to preach together to 5,000 people in Louisiana. I got to preach, he got to preach, and then we got to preach together. And when my 19-year-old son preached, 100 people gave their lives to Christ for salvation. When my son was in the womb, When my son was in the womb, I would reach over and touch my wife's belly at night and my wife and I would prophesy over him. We would bless him. We would speak life over him. We would pray, God, put your hand on him and call him to do something significant for your kingdom. And when John speaks, he says, I am one, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare 
prepare the way for the Lord. And he didn't do it with arrogance because when people ask him if he was the Messiah, he said, are you crazy? I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He must increase, I must decrease. Zechariah prays this over his son. Verse 78, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew up and became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. That's the story. That's the background. That's the song of worship that Zechariah spoke after months of not being able to say a single word. I want to show you the power of God on display in the 13 minutes I've got left. Number one, Christmas reveals God's power to come up with and complete his plan. That's what Christmas is all about. It really does. It reveals God's power. First of all, it's just amazing that God came up with this plan in the first place. You go to Matthew's gospel and you read the lineage, the part that most people skip over. It is amazing to see that in that lineage of people that would from Adam to Joseph be the line Jesus would be born into, that he includes some women he includes some Gentiles. He includes a prostitute. That's right, Rahab, the harlot, is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus because without her part in his plan, the children of Israel would have never been able to have been saved in Jericho when they walked into the promised land. This is amazing to me that at Christmas, if we'll just take the time to go study God's word, we will be dumbfounded and flabbergasted at how God came up with a plan like this and then completed it. And I sleep well at night knowing that when I put my head on the pillow, I do not have to superintend the details of the universe because God has the power to take the bad things we do and get a good result out of it. We'll continue this message in just a moment, but I wanna ask you to help us. We actually, right now, really need your help. Our ministry just opened a brand new retreat center on Lake Hartwell in South Carolina, the Crossroads Retreat. And we're trying to raise $300,000 to finish this debt free. It's a beautiful retreat and you can help us. We've just had a donor step up and make a $100,000 matching commitment. That means every gift that's given during this season will be matched dollar for dollar up to $100,000. Would you help us? Everything that you give is gonna be doubled. You can go to thecrossroadsretreat.com, thecrossroadsretreat.com, and make any tax-deductible donation there, and all of your gifts will be doubled. Now, back to the message. It's one thing to come up with a plan, but somebody gotta execute that plan. God executed his plan in Jesus Christ. That takes power. Number two, Christmas proves that God has power to pick and prepare the right people. 
I would not have probably picked the same people that God picked for his plan. Samson? Really? Samson, the judge of Israel, who broke every single commandment he was given? David, who started off bringing a goat cheese sandwich to his brothers while they're fighting the big old giant, and then he ends up raping a woman and killing her husband and then trying to cover it up before he finally gets called out by the prophet Nathan? How about Peter? Loud mouth, boisterous, proud, chest thumping, masculine. If everybody leaves you, Jesus, I will never leave you. And Jesus is like, you're gonna deny me before the rooster crows tonight three times. You know what I love about Jesus? I love a lot about Jesus, but I love the characters that he casts in his beautiful cosmic drama to save us and redeem us. Because when I look in the Bible and I see all the bozos and clowns he picked, I know there's hope for me. <laughs> Let me take you to Colossians chapter two. Turn to Colossians chapter two if you have a Bible. Verses 13 through 15. Paul will go a little bit further in, in discussing the power of God on display in the Messiah. Paul says this in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, Jesus made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with all of its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And Jesus has taken it away. How? By nailing it to the cross. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in Christ. Here's what Christmas shows us. It shows us how God crushed dark powers with something better than brute force. There's a specific theology here in Colossians 2 that when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he pay our sin debt, not only did he cancel the, the punishment we deserved, not only did he rescue us from hell, but he got hell out of us. And not only did he keep us from going to hell, he gave us a new life. He gives us abundant life now. His death on the cross canceled our sin debt. His resurrection from the dead opened up to us a brand new abundant life in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. But then on top of that, Jesus publicly humiliated, triumphed over and defeated Satan and all those dark forces that serve him. Satan is smart, but he's not all-knowing. Satan is powerful, but he's not as powerful as God. And so when Paul writes in Colossians that through the power of the resurrection, Jesus triumphed over the dark forces, death, hell, the grave, sin, our own weight of guilt. If you're addicted to prescription pills, the power of God can set you free. 
If you're having an affair right now and you're cheating on your spouse, the power of God can grant you repentance. If you'll confess and turn, your marriage can be saved. If you are struggling with anxiety and depression, the power of God can help you. It can get you to a better place. If you struggle with forgiving the person that hurt you or abused you from your past, the power of God is stronger than that dark force that's trying to hold you back. Satan would not fight you as hard as he's fighting you if you didn't have a treasure of value inside of you. You're made in the image of God. It's why Satan hates you so much. Every time Satan looks at us, he sees God. He sees Jesus on the cross. He sees Jesus raised from the dead. And that is why I am a Christian. I wouldn't follow Jesus if he had not been resurrected. That little baby that was born in the manger, we worship him. I love nativity scenes. I love it. I, I, even, even if they're not biblically accurate, there were probably more than three wise men and they all were not Norwegian with blonde hair and blue eyes, okay? I, I, love, the, I love the nativity scene. I, but I don't just worship a little cute little baby Jesus, eight pound, two ounce little baby Jesus right there. I don't worship the Talladega Nights Jesus. I worship the resurrected son of the living God with the scars from a resurrection to prove he's alive. That is his power on display. I got one more. Number four, Christmas unveils God's power to save and redeem from ancient times until right now today. You do realize that in the first century when the gospel began to be proclaimed, the reason why people believed in it, the reason why by the 300s, Constantine had to convert to Christianity because the Christian faith was growing so fast, he realized, I better bet on the winning horse. You know why people were coming to faith in Christ and being redeemed? Because God's power was on display. What did the gospel do? It elevated women. In the ancient world, women were property to be thrown away if they could not produce a male heir. And here comes Jesus, dignifying women, valuing women, lifting up women. And the New Testament church honored women as equals with men. And women flocked to the gospel. Why did so many people believe the power of God on display in the early church? because you've got a story that goes back to ancient times. God delivered an entire nation from slavery. In the ancient world, by some accounts, one fourth of all people were slaves. Why do you think the slaves in the Roman Empire flocked to hear the story of Jesus? Because the story of Jesus was connected to the story of Moses and the story of an entire nation being brought out of slavery. And they flocked to hear this story and they believed it. Why do you think people flocked to, to, to believe the gospel? Because it wasn't something that just fell out of the sky. It was something tied to the human experience. And then Zechariah comes along and says, I'm, I'm proud to be the daddy of a little boy that will grow up to be a prophet, the last of the great prophets. In line of men like Jeremiah and Isaiah, Hosea, Habakkuk, and Nahum. My son, John, will be the last great prophet to proclaim the Messiah. And then there will be no more need for a prophet to talk about the coming Messiah. We'll need people to proclaim the truth that the Messiah has come and the Messiah is alive. And 
the Messiah is coming back. That's the hope we live in. Oh, and by the way, church, that Messiah is coming back. And when he comes back, the writer of Revelation, another John, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, when John the Apostle wrote the book of Revelation, he says that that Messiah will come on a white horse. What does that white horse represent? Victory, a parade of champions. And when he comes back, he's not coming back to take sides. He's coming back to take over because this is his world made by him for his glory and his purposes, his power on display. This week, you can be that power on display, a witness of the power of the gospel and the joy of Christmas when you know the Messiah. Take that truth and let it inspire you to proclaim the gospel this week. Merry Christmas and we'll see you next time. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.